Hey everybody, it's Jason Snell, and here's another incomparable bonus track. I was recently on Stephen Prescott's Madman with a Box podcast, which is all about Doctor Who, in which guests choose an episode of Doctor Who, and then they talk about it. And I chose the first episode of the reboot of Doctor Who from 2005, Rose, to talk about what they did right and what they hadn't figured out how to do right yet in that episode. So if you're interested in Doctor Who, especially the new version that started on our airwaves in 2005, I think you might like this episode of the Madman with a Box podcast. I am definitely a madman with a box. Hello, listeners, and welcome to a Madman with a Box podcast. Uh, I'm your host, Stephen Prescott, and joining me this week from Macworld Magazine, Jason Snell. Jason, welcome to the podcast. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Um, it's uh, uh, I, I saw you speak this past year at at Galley uh, on the podcasters panel, and uh, so it's a uh, it's exciting to have you on the podcast. Yeah, it's great to be here. This is uh, I've been looking forward to this ever ever since I had to go through that trial of picking an episode that hadn't been chosen by somebody, which was really much harder than I thought it would be. It's yeah, it is actually, um, and I and I and I sort of feel bad about that because this is about <laughs> I've only done like thirty one episodes so far, but um, I know that there's so much there's so much Doctor Who to pick from, and uh, it just seems to everyone everyone loves the same episodes, which is great, which is you know means that they stand out. I so, love the uh, I love the format though of of not letting anybody pick the same episode uh, on the incomparable, which is the sci fi podcast that I do in my spare time. We've done a few drafts that are like you know sports drafts where you. Want once you pick it, it's gone off the board, and I, that's how I felt with this: is that I had you know the thirty fifth pick in the Doctor Who draft, and you know somebody sniped Vengeance on Veros, which is my go to episode, and I just got the the special edition DVD of that, and I was like, no! But it was kind of fun to go through that process of what do you pick when when a lot of your your easy choices are gone. Yeah, yeah, that was actually um, that was actually uh, last week's episode uh, <laughs> Vengeance on Veros. So um, so with, close, uh, James. James from the Doctor Who podcast. It's so close. It was so close. Um, so, Jason, uh, I always ask everyone uh, two questions. And the first question is, how did you get into Doctor Who? I, I think maybe I have a two-part answer for that. So, so, you know, as with, I think, most Americans of a certain age, I'm 42, I discovered Doctor Who on PBS. I actually have a clear memory. I was in, I'm going to say, seventh grade. So it would have been 1983 uh, roughly on uh, and on a, a local PBS station on a, a Saturday afternoon, I think, or a Sunday afternoon, I found this show just flipping the channels like you do when you're a kid and you're bored. In the 80s, we only had like eight channels. And it was, I believe, go- going back now, I realize it was The Power of Kroll, and wow. which has some fine, fine green screen work and miniature work. Uh, I actually can't watch that episode with a straight face because it's just <laughs> it is to me the epitome of 70s Doctor Who because I uh, you know that that was the, my first episode. So I watched that and I was intrigued and I tried to figure out in the TV guide like what the show was and when it was on and it turned out that that was on the um kind of far off PBS station from San Francisco. I lived up in the in the foothills in northern California, uh, a small town called Sonora, and it turned out the Sacramento PBS station which was uh came in much clearer every Saturday night showed doctor who so beginning you know basically in eighth grade or my freshman year in high school i that was my like saturday night ritual was watching doctor who and and at the time literally 
I believe for the first few years, they just played through the Tom Baker episodes in the um, largely in that welded together omnibus format where they edit all six or four episodes of a, of a, of a story together. And, and so a Saturday night wouldn't be just uh, 25 minutes of Dr. Who it would be some un- unknown. If you didn't have, before I had like the, the companion book, uh, <laughs> I didn't actually know that Peter Haining giant book. I, I didn't actually know how long they would be. And so then it would be one of those six episode shows and you'd realize that it, you know, you were going to be sitting there for two and a half hours, but you didn't know until you got to that point. So, cause, cause they could be a variable length. And anyway, that well, was you a, also have to you, have, you also have to sit through the pledge drive, right? Oh, those were and the pledge drives. They had the local Doctor Who fans do the pledge drive, and there was this guy <laughs> with a scarf and a hat that was dressed up as Tom Baker, but he had a beard, and he he was really uh, he was really annoying. Anyway, <laughs> the uh, so I have memories of that, and they would just cycle through Tom Baker, and eventually they they did Peter Davison, and that was really exciting because I hadn't seen those episodes yet, and I remember getting to the case of Androzani and. Uh, and being really excited because I knew the Colin Baker episodes they, that they had done a season of, of a full season with Colin Baker at that point, including Vengeance on Virus. And I was crushed um, to find out that the uh, the following week they would be showing Spearhead from Space. And it turns out that was actually kind of fun to see the John Pertwee and go back. But the, the, it, they were there was no rhyme or reason. They seemed to buy just these packages of of a particular doctor and then you would be just watching them week after week until the stories were exhausted. It was a weird way to be introduced to Doctor Who, but I was intrigued enough that I bought some of the books. I bought some of the, the novelizations. I bought the the big hardcover Peter Haining book. Um, and I was really into it. I went to a couple conventions in high school. And uh, and and then as the show, you know, I got I got – older and um was headed off to, to to college and honestly the show was fading you know the 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 sylvester mccoy years didn't really work very much for me and i and uh star trek came back on the air in in 87 next generation and i kind of let doctor who kind of fade into the past and and I, and I you know got rid of all my books and i kind of forgot about it and uh and then actually that person who got fired from their job in Canada at the Canadian Broadcasting Company leaked the first episode. First I heard it was coming back, and this is sort of why I picked the episode I did. Um and, and then and then I discovered the new you know, the new series um on or right before it aired. Thank you, Internet. And uh and honestly we can talk much more about this in a minute, but um, then I was back. So it was that it was that that re re uh, reimagining and reinvigoration, and I, all that Doctor Who stuff that I kind of walled off in my head for ten years or fifteen years uh, suddenly was unlocked. So <laughs> that's my that's my long story of how I came to Doctor Who. I mean, it's it um, it's it's not far off from where from where I came from watching it on PBS and always sort of watching it out of order and not really knowing, you know. Not really understanding the Doctor growing up, uh, well, why he, there's different guys playing him. And yeah, he turns like Peter. Da- he turns into Peter Davison, and then he he's back to being himself. Or he turns into Colin Baker. Peter Davison does, and then he's John Pertwee. And and yeah. and and it's like they didn't care. You know, it, yeah. I, we were lucky that they showed them in any semblance of order at all, yeah. and it was really scattershot. And there was a period where the where Channel Six in in Sacramento what stopped they, they for whatever reason they didn't have omnibus editions and. And they showed like six episodes a night a couple of times and, and you'd get half of a story and a cliffhanger and then you'd get the other half and then another story. I mean, really, there was not a lot of care that was put into Doctor <laughs> Who on a lot of these PBS stations. So you just kind of had to go with it. It's not like today where everybody there's on the Internet. You've got like a complete episode guide and you can see when every episode is going to air and you see it the same day and it, you can go back and look at the continuity. And, it, you know, then it was it was completely 
scattershot. But uh, yeah. you know, it was kind of fun to to pick it up and and I couldn't devour it like you can now, where you discover something and you watch it for you know you go through every single episode. Instead, it was just like once a week. It was well, I wonder what it'll be this week, and there was no way to know. Yeah, yeah. Um. So, uh, do you have a do you have uh, a doctor? Your doctor. Oh yeah, you know it's so tough. I I, I almost want to say Colin Baker, and that I feel bad about it because I you know I thought in many ways the Colin Baker years were the were really the seeds of the destruction of the classic show. I think that John Nathan Turner, the producer, who I met at a convention, I met him and Patrick Tra- and Patrick Troughton actually when they were showing the two doctors. I I, I think Colin Baker. Um, there's just so much missed potential there. So it's a strange, I'm kind of fraught with that. I, I, I really love some of his episodes. I love Vengeance on Veros. Um, I love, uh, what is it? Resurrection of the Daleks is the one with the, with Alexi Sale as the DJ and they're on the planet Necros, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I, you know, I, I, I love some of those episodes. Um, I was devastated when they did the hiatus before the, um, before they came back with the trial of the Time Lord. I feel like Colin Baker really could have had a great run and been, uh, and been a, a great, uh, a classic doctor, and that he was let down by some of the sort of fan service decisions that John Nathan Turner made, and the fact that I think the show was just, you know, the writing was a little too tired, and the, it had no support at the BBC. And so it's strange, because I, I, I can't pick out a lot. He only did a couple seasons. I can't pick out a lot of great episodes of Colin Baker, um, but listening to the Big Finish audios, too, I feel like he's a much better actor um, then he was allowed to be on Doctor Who. I think the character was, you know, again, the ridiculous costume and all those things. I just, I, I felt like that was just, he was, uh, there was a lot, a lot of missed opportunity there. So, so, you know, the easy choice as an American is just to say Tom Baker and because he was the first and all that. And Peter Davis and I have a lot of fondness for, and I have a huge fondness for, for, um, for David Tennant. Um, but, uh, you know, if if I had to pick one, I think maybe I'd go with Colin Baker just because I like to be I like to be different and I like to I think I think it I think it brings up a lot of questions about what you know why you like a doctor and and in his case it's not because I think he had the most good episodes I think you know I just always felt that there was something great there but it was never fully realized. Yeah, it, it, it's funny because those are the, yeah, the the same sentiments that uh, that were echoed uh, when we did talk about Vengeance of Varos and how you know the. That version of the Doctor, Colin Baker just wasn't given a lot to work with. Um, no. He wasn't given a lot of great things to work with. Uh, um, and he is he is a fantastic actor, and, and Big Finish is great, and, and his his Big Finish stories are fantastic. Uh, uh, it's just a, a shame that the the show was in the state that it was in uh, when he when when he was cast. Yeah, uh, it was falling apart. I mean, it really was. You could see it. Yeah. You could see it falling apart. Or, and as much as I like individual episodes of his and. Sylvester McCoy's run it just you know I think the conception of the show was they were it was kind of out of control and it needed a rest I mean that's honestly you could you could look at that this is how I felt about Star Trek after it had essentially been on through various different shows but the same writing staff for like 15 years it's like Mm. you know as great a concept as any show is at some point I do think unless you have a wholesale change in your creative team you know it really needs a it needs a rest and a rethink and and the, the shame of Colin Baker coming in when he did is that either it needed a rest or it needed a serious rethink and nobody was willing to do that but either way you know you've got these Vengeance uh, on Veros is the best episode that he did, and and it's a great one. And I, I love Max Headroom's one of my favorite TV shows. And it's like it's 
I mean, it's like a Max Headroom episode. It, it, it's it's smart and dark, and I'm not talking about it this in this podcast. And yet, here I am trying to talk about. It. But you know, but it was squandered. I mean, it really they just kind of it, it. They couldn't hold it together. Yeah, um, I didn't think about that Max Headroom uh, analogy, but that's that's totally uh, that's totally true. You know, um, mid '80s well, Max Headroom was originated yeah. that, the original Channel Four miniseries before they brought it over to the U.S. and remade it, and and it's it's within like a year, I think, of when they made the original Max Headroom, and it's that dark English media satire about TV and and uh, you know t- mandatory TV viewing was in both of those shows and Vengeance and Veros and in Max Headroom. It's a whole. It's it was it's been a lot of fun um, revisiting Vengeance with the with the special edition DVD, which is also again not what I'm t- here to talk about. <laughs> no, but that's okay. That's I'm okay. cheating. Uh, no, no, it's totally it's totally okay. Uh, I, I I you know I want you to talk about what you want to talk about. So um, but uh, but you did. It was it was a very easy choice for you when when you couldn't choose Vengeance on Varos. You you had almost an immediate choice, which was Rose. Yeah, I, I I have to admit I went through a I was surprised when you sent me the list of what had taken about what hadn't been taken and I again I didn't want to go with something obvious like a, you know a Stephen Moffat episode because the, you know although I love those uh, I didn't want to go down that path and I was shocked to find that nobody had chosen a Christopher Eccleston episode yet and and then I looked at that and I thought well the, you know the Empty Child is great uh, I, but I I want to talk about Rose because. I think it's an I think it's a fascinating episode for so many reasons. Not only being the representative of of the act of of reimagining, like I said, of giving it a rest and then bringing it back and reimagining what Doctor Who should be, and having it be the same show and yet having it be in the context of a modern television show and not a show from the '60s or '70s, um, which even in the '80s, Doctor Doctor Who was kind of a show from the '60s or '70s in format. It hadn't changed that much since the '70s. And, and and so Rose represents the the change and the revival of Doctor Who. Um, plus, as an episode, it's kind of fascinating because I feel like um, they they have they didn't know what they were doing I mean, on one level, <laughs> and, and, and like nobody for a lot of that first season. But it's really there in that first episode. They they didn't know quite what the show was supposed to be, and that's fascinating to me. That we we look back now, and we've got uh, you know seven years of of modern doctor who and put that puts it in a very different context than at the time when they were you know they they had to make some very interesting decisions about what the show was going to be when it came back that was my first thing actually um watching this again uh to talk with you uh my first thought was how much the show has changed since this since this episode i mean it is it's amazing even down to murray gold the way he writes his scores and the music it, it just every bit of it is is so incredibly different now and and um and you know for a lot of people this is a hard episode to watch people just don't really like it very much and and i never this is never the episode where I, when people want to ask me how to get into doctor who this is never the episode i tell them to watch first because huh. i'm just i it, i'm afraid that they're just going to think oh this is a total cheese fest and 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 not be able to get into it and not because not that I think that this episode is cheesy because there I think that there's actually a lot of amazing wonderful things about this episode especially as a Doctor Who fan it 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 hits a lot of notes um that you want it to hit uh, bringing the show back but it is uh you're right they didn't know what they were doing no. and it yeah it's it's a mess i mean it, it, and the seeds of all the success of Doctor Who in in the modern era are in there, but the, there's also a lot of cheese in there, and there's a lot of confusion. I mean, you mentioned Murray Gold, who who to this day does the music for Doctor Who, and and he his approach has changed so much. I mean, it, the music is manic. 
um, like manic, just driving, pulsating, like almost like they're trying to compensate. Like they're afraid that the show's not going to hold up on its own. So the music is going to be overbearing, um, which is not to say there isn't some really nice music in there, but there's also, there's so much of it. And some of it is, is clearly just, you know, trying to drive the story forward with a, a, a you know, a loud rhythm. The, the, um, the sound mixing is bizarre. Like the, the sound effects and the music are, overbearing like they didn't really know uh, you lose a lot of the dialogue is kind of hard to hear because it's it's it, you know the the music is at the fore it, and it feels the example i keep giving to people is there are parts of this episode that feel like i'm watching um power rangers or something i'm watching a <laughs> i'm watching a kid's show that's live action and there aren't that many examples of this in the u.s i think there are more overseas but um it's a kid's show that's live action. Most of the kid's shows in the U.S. are animated. And, and it's got this, you know, it's got a big soundtrack and it's got a lot of special effects and sound effects. And, you know, just we're, we're just going to kind of power through it. It doesn't make sense, but it's going to be a, a ride. And, and and that's one of the weird things about the tone of this episode is there are parts of it where I feel like, and maybe the director, but I think it's also the production team, they they don't know if they're making a kid's show or not. That that mm-hmm. that are we making in this because Doctor Doctor Who has eventually gotten to this point and over the first season you see it, but especially in the second season where it is a family show, it is appreciated by adults and kids. Um and that's what it was supposed to be back in the day too. And yet in in Rose especially, I feel like they don't know yet. You know, is this really a kid's show or is it a family show? I, and I think they go too far. There, there's too much uh, – and, and maybe it's just pandering. Maybe they did know because, you know, The Unquiet Dead is a very different episode than this, although it was shot later. This and this and the, the two-parter um, the, the with the Slitheen were shot together and they are all broad and silly and mm-hmm. uh, and not you know not very likable. I think that Slithian two parter is is atrocious. But um, you know whether they're they're trying to just do a head fake and say, look, kids will like it. Hey, kids, I, I know it's Doctor Who, but you'll like it. Or whether they didn't know. But but the tone's wrong. I mean, the first episode, you know, Rose is parts of it are just parts of it are breathtakingly good, and then other parts of it are ridiculous. The fact that we go in a span of about two minutes. You know, you have the the Auton arm come to life, float in the air, have the whole like miming that it's strangling Christopher Eccleston until he and it's it's really bad. It's it's mm-hmm. so and and then there are sound effects as it does it. It's so bad. And yet we go from that it within two minutes they're they're walking, um and this and the music's playing too loud. And then we get the beautiful scene with him and Rose where he explains, you know, it's not a price war. They want to kill you. They want to kill humanity. And then he has that that wonderful thing that's the high point of the whole episode, I think, when where he has his monologue where he says, you know, I can feel the earth spinning, <laughs> you know, yeah. a, a, and and if you let go, you fall off. And he says, now forget me, Rose Tyler. And he takes off in the TARDIS. And that's the we hear that we hear the sound of the TARDIS for the first time that what a whiplash that is because it goes from the most ridiculous power rangers kind of scene to this incredibly like interesting uh intriguing to adults what you know man of mystery kind of moment uh, and that the, the whole episode is kind of like that where it, it yeah i i just it's all over the place it's 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 it shows all the potential of the show and it also shows all of the things that they could have done completely wrong yeah well it's it's and I'm not an RTD basher, but it is it's RTD. I mean, his his writing tends to be very uneven when he's trying to do something 
uh, big. But doesn't it know? also, I mean, I agree with that. I think that's totally, also when he horribly procrastinates and then yeah. has to make things up at the last minute. But, um, but it's also, if you think about RTD as the children's programming guy, exactly. right? like, like Sarah Jane Adventures, and he's got the, the Wizards versus Aliens now, which is because they need to do something after Sarah Jane Adventures. Or, or if you think back to his previous work uh, in children's programming, I, I, it's almost like that he doesn't know he knows how to write queer as folk or second coming. Um, and he knows how to write the kids shows. And in Rose, you can almost see the two parts of his personality fighting against each other, which is like, how do I make something in between? And, That's and exactly, yeah, yeah. And, and the, the world war three, uh, you know, uh, Slitheen episodes are like that too, where it's like, he doesn't, he, he hasn't figured it out. I mean, and, and later he does better. He also does worse, but he does better. But in this one, <laughs> if this one is like, I, I feel like if you think about the Sarah Jane adventures, I feel like I look at Rose and I think they don't know if they're making the Sarah Jane adventures here or if they're making Doctor Who as we know yeah. it today. They just don't, they, they hadn't, they, they hadn't figured it out or they hadn't decided or, you know, I don't know what the backstory is, but it, clearly in tone, they, they, they haven't figured it out. Yeah, exactly. And it's, it, it's, it very much feels like a pilot. Even though there was no pilot for this, right. they didn't they didn't shoot a pilot, so they just shot the series, you know, and, and it very f- much feels like that. They were trying to, they hadn't quite figured it all out yet, but they had it, but they had to start doing it, you know, which right. again is typical right. RTD, you know. Let's leave it to let's leave it to the last minute, and then you know we'll make it up as we go along a little bit. Um, and yeah, I agree. Uh, it just it does it does feel very much like. Well, the Slitheen, the Slitheen episodes obviously are, just feel like Sarah Jane, and that's yes. that's why they were perfect to bring over the Sarah Jane adventures because they were, you know, they're farting aliens. Of course, right. they're, they're perfect for a kids show. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I'm 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 with you 100 percent on that. And, you know, but luckily there are some some amazing moments like that scene where yes. he's talking about feeling the Earth spinning, and uh, um, the scene when when Rose first walks into the TARDIS, and uh, oh, yes, and she's uh, and she's asking him questions, and you see, and Eccleston is. He actually, you know, he he calms down. He's not manic and not being all goofy because he goes from goofy to straight a lot during this as well, which is kind of what he did. But, um, you know, everyone talks about him being the dark brooding doctor, but he had plenty of really funny moments, you know. But when he's he's just standing there and he's answering her questions very matter of factly and so wonderfully played. That's my favorite. Actually, that's my favorite scene of Christopher Eccleston's entire run is where and all he's saying is yes. Right. It's alien. Yes. Are you and you're alien. Yes. And and uh, plus a bonus for all the uh, sort of uh, what assembled hordes of Genghis Khan couldn't get through that door, Rose. It's <laughs> yes. it's 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 that's I mean that's my other favorite scene, right? There's the there's the skin of the world conversation b- before he goes in the TARDIS and tells her to go home, and there's that scene where where you know Russell Davis he this is and this is why I wanted to talk about this episode he when I watched this for episode for the first time I just got a big grin I was so worried that this was going to be terrible the show and I got a big smile on my face even though there were goofy moments because I, I felt like he you had to make bring back Doctor Who you have to make some decisions are you going to honor the past or are you going to reboot it are you going to do little head fakes to the past or are you going to completely embrace it and the, the path he walks down here you know, he wants to introduce a new generation to Doctor Who. It's not about pandering to the fans. Uh, it, it, although he does a little 
he does he does little nods to the fans, but he doesn't pander to the fans. You don't need to know anything about the Autons to get that there are mannequins that are walking around. That's clear enough. And the scene where she discovers how the TARDIS works, you know, as a, a longtime fan, it's great because they do things that never were done in the original show in that there's not this mysterious void space between the outside and the inside where where the doors are different and – you know, I always wondered about that, the, the like the the anteroom, the entryway to the TARDIS where Peter Davison's got these giant white block doors that open, but on the other side there's wood and what's in between. And and with this, you know, in this series from the first episode, there are shots where you're outside the TARDIS and you look in and you see the inside and, and you're inside and you see the outside. It's, oh my God. You know, it's exactly how I always imagined it should be. And, and, and so that's exciting for me, but it also... It, it it explains when she backs out, runs around, you know, it's such a beautifully done way to introduce it to a new audience that this is the, the reality of this, uh, of this show is that this time machine is bigger on the inside than the outside. Um, and it's so wonderfully done. And throughout this episode, there are moments like that where he, you know, he is setting up the whole uh, scenario very carefully, and this is a this is a case where Russell Davis, when he had time, could be a very careful plotter. Um, I think the same goes for like Partners in Crime, where where without that huge time pressure, he he does a masterful job of of setting everything up. And in Rose, you know, I, I just I love how all those elements of Doctor Who that we love from the old show are reintroduced and they're not done. I mean, it's, it's kind of a light touch. He makes, they made so many right decisions in mm-hmm. how they reintroduced that. And that's what impresses me when I look back at Rose is that as silly as some of the moments are, you know, it, it, it is, it is doing a really hard job of trying to get away from the kind of perception of Doctor Who as a silly show in the past while not, saying forget about that old show this is a new show it really you know it really is honoring the old show and just reintroducing it to a new audience and that tardis scene is a is a perfect example of that yeah definitely it's a it's he i i totally agree he there were there were boxes that needed to be ticked and it wasn't and it wasn't like he was just off ticking boxes in the episode it was it was really put together in the right way like even that first moment when you hear the tardis for the first time and and the sound is the same and and you know and and uh and like you said that tardis scene where he's explaining things and her walking around the outside and it's 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 very it's it's just superbly done and and coming off of jo- coming off of the plastic mickey with the giant hands and his head pops off and i mean that's the, again the, the it's there's that whiplash of like oh that was a ridiculous and silly scene and now there's something that's really heavy which yeah. you know it's not mixed together very well but it's clearly like hey kids you'll like this hey grown-ups you'll like this part yeah the other really great choice that i i um that i that they made was uh, was Rose herself the the character of Rose and a lot of people don't a lot of people don't like Rose and I don't understand it but I really like that she's just a shop girl yeah who gets thrown into the situation and ends up traveling with the doctor and I think that's kind of the one thing that I'm sort of missing from Stephen Moffat's era is that everyone everyone is special right in Stephen Moffat's era and uh and and um we've already gotten that with with Jenna Louise Coleman's character her yep. showing up in, in Asylum of the Daleks so um there's no there's none of this um you know just just someone who who 
falls into the situation, you know, and we got that all through RTD's era, you know, I, I mean, I, with, with Rose and, and Donna, um, you know, even with Donna and, and, Martha, and Martha as well. Um, uh, but, but really with Rose, because she wasn't, she really wasn't anything special, you know, she just was this, this girl who, well, it, you know, it's, it's, it's funny. I, I agree with you. Um, I, I I, and I wanted, I absolutely wanted, I'm glad you brought this up to talk about Rose. I, I, I do think that a lot of people's perceptions of Rose are colored by the fact that, that, um, that Russell Davis couldn't, couldn't let her go. Uh, yeah. If the last we saw of her was on that beach the first time, the saddest beach in the world at the end of Doomsday and Army of <laughs> Ghosts, I think that, I think that Rose would be, um, appreciated much more, but they, then they, you know, they kept, bringing her back from and i think that i think that harmed it and i know it, it, you know there are other issues there but but I, I agree with you i think rose is she's she's more capable than she believes herself to be at first she's got a i mean part of it is that she's nobody special part of it is she she like everybody is somebody special but you have to know you have to be awakened to the fact that you are special and embrace that and that that's even in this episode she takes that kind of journey of realizing there's more to her life there can be more and she needs to aspire to be more um because it would be very easy for her to have a completely you know uninteresting life just kind of going with the flow and and she refuses in the end after you know kind of a, a misstep she says no no i'm gonna stay here with mickey and then she's like no i can't do that right but but that's the great story about rose is that she does open up to this but she doesn't start as somebody who's fated to be special or anything like that and and, and the, the parallel i want to draw you know this this um, small blonde woman who, uh, small blonde girl who meets the doctor and then uh, you know ends up like swinging on a on a on a rope and kicking you know <laughs> and kicking autons out of the way and all of that and and being an action hero at the, at the climax here. Russell Davis has said on numerous occasions that you know the show that he used as the template for bringing back Doctor Who was Buffy the Vampire Slayer and right. Rose is Buffy. Rose is an ordinary girl who is given an opportunity to become something much more and has to grapple with the fact that she is both ordinary and special. And, and I, you know, I don't want to draw that parallel too far, but, but when you, when you look and Buffy is one of my favorite shows, it's probably my favorite show of all time. And so I'm there right there with Russell Davis on that one. And I think his choice of that was brilliant that not just of the heroine, but of the whole template that, you know, that's how you do a modern, a modern, uh, sci-fi fantasy adventure show not like the old doctor who but what would be the template in 2005 for doing doctor who and he went to joss whedon's shows and especially to buffy where there's more of an ongoing continuity it is taken more seriously it has these fantastical elements but it's not played as this broad kind of ridiculous thing that it could have really gone we, you can see it in this episode it could have gone that direction and and he didn't want to do that. He wanted to make a a, a modern sci-fi fantasy adventure show, and and uh, with with good characters and humor and grounded in reality uh, as a nice counterpoint to the kind of insanity of plastic mannequins or vampires or what, what have you. Um, and, and every time I I look at Rose though uh, the episode I and and I see Rose Tyler in it, I think you know Rose is you know, is inspired by Buffy Summers in Buffy the Vampire Slayer. That is part of what uh, Russell put in the mix here because uh, it clearly, you know, that was just, it's just a little part of it, but um, 
it's a it's a wink and a nod to that and I, and that's part of the success i think of this first season and of giving the, the show the push it needed to become uh, a hit in the uk was taking it seriously looking at other shows that worked that were modern and following that path and not going down the path of making the kids show making the you know broad uh cardboard set kind of like the people's imagination of what doctor who was supposed to be and and in this episode and every episode that followed, that was what Russell Davis and the production team were saying they weren't going to do. They were going to do something that was darker. I mean, the the Autons hands open and they shoot people even if you don't see them. And there's that shot of uh, Clive's wife, the the guy who has the website about about the doctor screaming because we know mm-hmm. he's just been shot and presumably killed off camera. Uh, it's all you know. It's kind of a mess, but it's clear that this is this is a. Uh, uh, these are the decisions that led to their their success. So shout out to Buffy the Vampire Slayer. I feel like when I look at Rose, you know, clearly that was something that Russell was trying. He was inspired by that, and he wanted that kind of a, kind of a character, the little little kind of wispy blonde girl who's really easy to overlook, who ends up having within her this incredible ability and and capability. If only she'll believe in herself. Yeah, and there's and. I'm with you, and I'm a huge Buffy fan. So, and I think that's that's one of the reasons why. Hooray! Uh, I, yeah, um, that this uh, this <laughs> when the show came back, it resonated as well. And but there's one there's one more piece to that that I think that he did really that he did really well, and that I I, I again think that maybe maybe Moffat's uh, Doctor Who is lacking is that. Um, and and Russell T Davies actually turned it on its head um, to his to to detriment of the show at one point. But it's that the Doctor is inspiring. You know, so it's it's not just that, um, you know, that, uh, you know, Rose finds this within herself, but that, you know, that the doctor also inspires that within her. And that's what the doctor does. You right. Know, he and, and he's and it's sort of, you know, because that character, the companion character is supposed to be us as the viewer. Uh, we're, you know, we we are supposed to also be inspired and feel that uh, feel that inspiration from the doctor to 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 be better and to be to, you know to do things better and uh and that comes through you know it definitely comes through and uh throughout this throughout the uh this 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 whole season uh but of, in, and in, how rose grows you know? in the first episode though it what's interesting and we we've seen this now a few times because you know actors leave the show and you have to write them out this yeah. idea of uh, uh the doctor shouldn't be travel alone which we saw in the david Tennant specials and then was kind of replayed in the in in the current season um here we see it halfway through because they've got the luxury of not having any continuity uh, with Paul McGann and the TV movie. There's just there's nothing there, which is a wise decision because uh, a friend of mine recently watched the TV movie and said, wow, there's a lot of Sylvester McCoy in this movie that's supposed to be Paul McGann. And that was actually something to learn from that was that was a mistake <laughs> and that yeah. it, to new audiences, don't go back to the old continuity. Just tell the story straight. But as a result, we don't see where he's come from, and we don't actually find out for several episodes just the the trauma that happened to him in the Time War. But what we do see in Rose is he pushes her away again and again, and only at the end does he come around to the point where he says – you know, maybe you can come with me. And, and he's a little bit shy when he does it. He, he's selling it, but you, there's this hesitation too, that he's, he's awkwardly asking her on a date, basically asking her if she wants to come with him, but he's, you know, forget it, you know, run for your life. He says to her at one point, and then later he says, you know, forget me, Rose Tyler, go home. He, he, he's pushing her away because he's so traumatized, whether he's just regenerated or not. It's certainly implied that he has, cause he's sees himself in a mirror and 
comments on his mm-hmm. appearance. Um, and you can retcon that how maybe he got a haircut, but, uh, but you know, that's the implication is that he's been through this and we don't find out until later, but we do know when, and looking back, it's very clear. He is alone and is damaged and is angry and, and it takes this interaction with her to remind him. I mean, she reminds him that he wants and needs a companion and, and, and it's, it's Rose's exceptionalism that saves the doctor in a way that mm-hmm. makes him realize, oh, yes, I do need somebody like her. I'll ask her. And, and to the point where when she turns him down, he, he rethinks it and comes back and points out that it also travels in time. And that's the sell- <laughs> that's, that, that's okay. I wasn't going to mention the time travel up front, but all right, if that's what it takes to sell you on this adventure, I'll do it. And, uh, but he, it's funny cause he turned, he turned, she turns him down or no, he pushes her away until he finally asks her and and you know it's easy to miss that and at the time i didn't really think of it too much but having seen that that same dynamic play out like in long form over the david Tennant specials and in the end of the amy and rory uh era you know it's actually kind of refreshing to see it all kind of collapsed into just one episode where when we meet him he's broken and he's messed up and he's traveling alone and this is the moment where he meets rose and realizes he can he can put his life back together yeah yeah um so uh is there anything else any other points that you wanted to uh to cover on uh uh on on this episode let's see i i talked about buffy i talked about bringing things back i talked about vengeance on veros even though i wasn't supposed to uh i talked about the music the music again there are moments that are brilliant and then it's just really overbearing and like a like a, that opening montage of the burm, 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 yeah. and like just running around like god it's just it's it's really it's, off it's overbearing although the nice thing about that montage is it sends the message that this is not your father's Doctor Who, and I like that. That it's there's a moment where you're thinking, I'm watching Doctor Who, and it's modern day London. I had actually been, my wife and I were actually in London, I believe, the same week that they were shooting uh, the the stuff by the London Eye in Rows. Uh, I, I think we were off by a week or two, but we were we were basically in London at that time, and so seeing that episode, I'm like, you know, this is not old doctor who this is modern and new it's happening today they're not uh, you know they're not running from that the the soundtrack is overly aggressive but at the same time i feel like that's you know they're sending a message that this is not going to be sleepy slow-paced old-fashioned doctor who and and uh you know i think it was effective at sending the message it's just that looking back now it's you know again it's just so hyper and aggressive and overbearing and and annoying it is it is the 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 moment the the uh, the nice music the the you know chancellor flavia (laughs) music where he's talking about uh uh the time lords and then the skin of the earth and all of those things that's and that would be repeated that's nice music but the the kind of pulsating electronic stuff is just really it's really not very good yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's just it's just not but but it sends that message right and she's got a she's got a black boyfriend and you know which is like hey modern you know right. today we're not we're not in the past we are we are a multicultural society in britain you know she's you know he's talking about uh he's he's like doing his soccer moves uh you know it's modern it's it's like aggressively overbearingly modern but i feel like you know they that was really on purpose they're like this is not a sleepy old show please keep watching like literally in the first minute please keep watching wait was he doing soccer moves or was he doing michael jackson moves i thought he was doing soccer moves he's got a soccer jersey on well, maybe i don't know 
I always we'll thought I, I thought he was doing like little footwork of like a, I don't I, I like soccer but I, I don't know enough to say I, I thought he was doing like super cool like soccer kick moves or something well I don't know he's got a soccer jersey to, on he's a big football fan that Mickey yeah we're gonna have to toss that one to uh to uh Noel Clark if I ever get him on the podcast yeah, that would be great <laughs> um cool um well uh we uh, so I think we covered everything. <laughs> we, we have beaten we, we have beaten this episode, you know, to death. It it it. it I guess I'd say uh, as a last thing, what I'd say is, um, it ends really well. The fact that sh- that that she runs into the TARDIS doors and she's made her decision. And the episode is titled Rose. It is it is her story about finding the Doctor, and it ends with her making that decision. And and again. What a great way to start the show is by putting us in her perspective, meeting the doctor ourselves. And at the end of the first episode, you know, she's pulling us along and saying, we've decided to go on this adventure with her. Uh, and we're going to go with the doctor and see where he takes us. And and uh, I, I, I think, again, technically, <laughs> could that scene have been better directed? Probably. This is the director that famously uh, really clashed with the cast and crew and was never asked back and I, yeah. I think did a really terrible job in general. But still, that last scene is really – it's a great – what a great way to end the first episode of this new era is she makes her decision. She runs into the TARDIS. There's no dialogue at that point. The music starts up and it fades and that's it and we're off to the next time trailer and I, I love it. I, I think you know there are many faults. We detailed them here with this episode but they did a lot of things right and fortunately – the things they did right were the things that they learned from and carried on and made it the show that it is, you know, and has been for the last seven years. Well said. I was going to make a comment about the slow motion as well, but I, oh, yeah. I just, you know, that was, uh, that was well said. I totally, I, I'm with you 100%. And I think, uh, you know, I, I, I think that more people should probably consider this as a, you know, as, as a starting point, but, uh, um, but yeah, it's, it's a great episode. I, I think I'm actually going to go back and watch, uh, all of season one over the next few days because, uh, really, uh, I really enjoyed watching this again. It's been, a, it's been a while since I've watched it and, uh, it really got me hyped up to watch some more Eccleston episodes. So yeah, it's, yeah. it's, it's not a bad starting point. Sometimes I tell people to start with the Christopher Eccleston era. Sometimes I, I, I say, well, you know, start with Matt, start with the 11th hour and go from there. I mean, there are so many different places that you can hop on or start with Blink and see if that works for you. But, um, but, uh, you know, uh, there's some rough sledding in the beginning, right? There's some bad episodes in this season, but, yeah. but, uh, I don't know. It worked for it. Certainly worked for me as somebody who was not expecting the revival to be anything. I yeah. I ended the show with a big grin on my face, and I was in. I was all in at that point. I had oh, that door that I had locked when I was in high school of all my Doctor Who knowledge. Just it flew open. I mean, that was it. It just blew open, and that and that it, I was back into it. And it just took forty five minutes. Fantastic, Jason. Thank you so much for being on the podcast. Fantastic. That's a good that's a good phrase for Christopher Eccleston. I'm 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 glad I could be here and and even though I couldn't talk about Vengeance on Veros and I did anyway. Uh I thought this was this was a lot of fun to talk about how Doctor Who came back because it did and can, can you believe it? I mean, I still pinch myself sometimes that Doctor Who came back and is good. Yeah, exactly. And I can't believe it's been it's been 7 years since this episode aired and and it's been it's been a, an amazing run and and, yeah. and it it's 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 going we're hitting the 50th and uh it's 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 hopefully only up from here. So Yeah. Yeah. Who'd have really thought? excited. 
Go ahead. What were you going to say? Who, who would have thought? Exactly. Who would have thought? I, I, no one could have predicted the the success, and and so for all its faults, I mean, I, I do have to keep pointing back to Rose and saying this is this is where it started, and it, I don't think it succeeded despite this episode, right? I think it succeeded because of this episode, even though it has faults. This is the episode that that it was judged on in the UK, especially, and yeah. they marketed the hell out of it, and it got a huge number of viewers. But the fact is, they didn't turn away; they stayed. Yeah, it's true. As you said, fantastic. Fantastic. Uh, <laughs> again, Jason, thank you so much. And um, there'll be, uh, what, uh, can you just plug your podcast one more time? Sure. Uh, the podcast that I think that listeners of this podcast would love, I hope, is called The Incomparable. You can find it at 5by5.tv slash incomparable. And it's a, uh, it's a weekly podcast where I talk with a small group of people I know who are geeky people, about uh, media. It's actually a a broad uh, sort of sci-fi fantasy nerdy media podcast. So we talk about Doctor Who. We talk about other TV shows and movies and books and video games and other stuff. There's – every week there's a different topic. So we have a book club that's about once a month that has different books and and, uh, we talk about things that are topical and things that are classic. Just did an episode about the Indiana Jones movies. Uh, about an hour for each episode and I, I think you'll find even if not every episode is to your taste i think you'll find stuff in there that uh, that uh anybody who's a fan of, of of sci-fi media will enjoy and i think it's uh it's a lot of fun for me to do we've been doing it for a couple of years so the incomparable and you can also search on itunes for incomparable and you will find it uh now i will i will link to the itunes and to the website and stuff in the show notes for this absolutely so people see people will be able to find it um from from my website as well so great uh, Cool. Well, uh, Jason, thank you. Um, and, uh, you know, uh, I'm sure I'll be talking to you soon. And uh, listeners, thank you for listening. And I'll be back next week. This has been a Madman with a Box podcast. You can send questions and comments to feedback at a madmanwithabox.com. You can also find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash a madmanwithabox podcast or on Twitter at madmanboxpod. Thank you for listening. Thank you for listening.